This first sermon of the Vineyard Values is uh, something I've preached on before, but I hope that this can help lay just a, a really crucial foundation to understand what we mean. We just sung a song about it, and the sermon's called uh, The Good News of the Kingdom of God. And uh, I talk a lot about the kingdom of God since I've been here. I've even had some of you ask me, like, you, you, say, you say this kingdom thing a lot, you know? You talk about this a lot. Like, um, uh, why do you talk about this a lot? Well, here's the interesting reality, okay? And hear me out. I know a lot of you have kind of grown up in the church. Some of you are kind of new to the, to the church. And you you've may have heard um, uh, or read, you know, different things about what the gospel is. The word gospel simply means good news. That's what that word means. And if you spent any time in the church, you've probably heard something like you're a sinner, Jesus died for your sins, believe in him, and you will receive eternal life, which is 100% true. But here's the reality, and hear me out, that's not how Jesus preached the gospel. It's not, which is a fascinating thing to say and to just say out loud because if we share the gospel, like we, we probably want to look at Jesus, look at the Bible and say, well, how, how does the Bible like guide us to preach the gospel? And not that that way to talk about it is incorrect, but it's, it's, it's very incomplete. Here, here's the best way. I'll start with a movie analogy, then go into scripture uh, to help understand how the, the Bible speaks of the gospel. And I'm going to talk about Back to the Future. Any Back to the Future fans in here? There we go. That's right. Don't be embarrassed. It's great. It's a classic, right? At the end of the first movie, you have Marty McFly and, his, and Jennifer, his girlfriend. They've been reunited after the whole adventures of the movie. And, you know, there's that loud flash and a boom, and there's a DeLorean, you know, and the doc comes out of the DeLorean, and he's, and he's all, like, weird future-looking clothes, okay? And he's all, like, you know, crazy like he usually is. And he, he grabs Marty and he says, you got to come back to the future with me, you know? So they get in the car and, uh, and Marty says, you know, hey, there's not enough road to get to how many miles an hour? Anybody know? 88. Thank you. 88 miles an hour. <laughs> and... Uh, then Doc says, not enough road. We don't need roads, right? And his car flies away because it's from the future, right? His car flew away. Then the theme song kicks in and now you want to go watch Back to the Future after church. But the reality is this, that flying car appeared in 1989 that was from a different age. I think this works. This works. It's from a different age. You could say the future, and it finds itself manifest when this movie was made in 1989. It brought a glimpse of a future age to what then was the present. And this is how the Bible talks about the good news of the kingdom. It's how Jesus spoke time and time and time and time again about the good news of the kingdom. Because here's our future, friends. Revelation 21 then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, a dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain 
anymore. The former things have passed away, and behold, he who is a seat on the throne said, I am making all things new. That's the age to come, is what the Bible calls it. That's the age to come. And when Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom, that phrase is together all the time in the Gospels, that future new heavens and new earth, which is called the age to come, he said it's breaking into the world now. It's being made manifest, just like that flying DeLorean showed up in 1989. That future age is showing up right now. Matthew 4, 23. And Jesus, he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the what? Kingdom. And healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Again, Mark 1 14 through 15, John was arrested. Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. I could read like 10 more verses. I'm not going to do that. But there's so many verses that say that exact thing from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus says that the good news, the gospel is this. The kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. It has come near. So when we talk about the good news of the gospel, chances are I'm talking about myself as well. We we probably don't say those words, right? Those words don't normally, if you grew up in the church or something like that, you probably weren't trained to say when you you share the good news with your neighbors or somebody, hey, the kingdom of God is here. That's what Jesus did. But that begs the question, what does that mean, right? What does that mean that the kingdom of God is at hand? Why would Jesus say that time and time and time? Again, what is the kingdom of God? So this could be like five sermons, but I'm going to do this um, in, in three points today to help you understand this. Point number one would be the very foundation of understanding this. To experience the kingdom is living with Jesus as your king. It's the first step to knowing what he meant by the kingdom of God. Jesus was a king, and he is our king. He was a Messiah. He was, he, he was our suffering servant, but he was and he is our king. John 18, Pilate, this is after Jesus was flogged. Jesus was a bloody mess. He's right before the cross, and Jesus says, or Pilate says to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king, and for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth because everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. It was soon after that he was crowned as king with a crown of thorns. They placed a a royal robe, a purple robe of mockery around his shoulder. And when he hung on the cross, it was a sign that hung above his head that said, this is the king of the Jews. The first thing to note in understanding what the kingdom of God is and what the good news of that is, is that Jesus is king. We, 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 when we hear king, uh, it's kind of a distant idea in 2023 in terms of just how things work today. Uh, kings were basically overthrown like 300 years ago, mostly around the world. 
okay? Because when, when kings ran nations in history, go read history books, uh, usually they became tyrants who just kind of sucked the resources dry of a nation, took it all in for themselves, and eventually people said, we're, 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 we're kind of sick of this, so no more kings, let's try this whole democracy thing, right? And so in our own country, like, we don't really have a good concept of king. But Jesus was and is sinless, and he's perfect, and his kingdom, you have to understand, though, like he, he is the king, the best king, the, the right, fully righteous, perfect king, but his kingdom is not so much like a territorial boundary that you can like walk to and cross over, like you can cross over to like, you know, America, to Canada or something. It's not so much a place as described in the Bible. It's described in action. This is important to note. Jesus shows us his kingship through how he lived And when he did that, he says, boom, the kingdom is here. The kingdom has shown up. Check this out. Luke 17, 20 through 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's an interesting word there. Some translations say within you, say around you, in the midst of you. It's like he's communicating. It's, it's very present, like right where you are now. If Jesus is your king, it means your life is in full submission to him. It means your life is, is, is characterized by his lordship and his kingship, his way of life, his power, and we carry then his kingdom, his kingship wherever we go. Paul confirms this, Romans 14. The kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You do not experience righteousness and peace and joy unless Jesus Christ through his spirit is your king. That's fruit of the Spirit that's being cultivated in your life. Unless your will has been subjected to his, those things are not going to be present in your life. And the fact is that when you realize you are not your own king, you begin experiencing life and the kingdom. Yes, tracking so far? You awake? You're good? Point number two. The kingdom of God has come and is coming with power. This is very important to note. More often than not, when Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom, it was in the context of his action, as we just said, and usually was attached to things like healing people or casting demons out of people, some sort of display of power. You need to look it up for yourself all over the Gospels and even into the book of Acts and into the rest of the letters. If we, different sermon for a different day, even in the Old Testament, but different sermon So the display of power in Christ was part of the good news. Like the active work of his ministry was attached to the proclamation of the good news. We need to understand this. We need to understand that his ministry, and by extension ours today, is ultimately, there's a a deep spiritual battle happening. It's important to note why he was healing people, why he was casting demons, why he was calling people to repent. There's a spiritual battle happening. There's another spiritual kingdom on earth 
And it's full of other many rulers and many authorities, little, you know, lowercase k, little kings. There's some verses that speak of this. Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is why he would say, when I'm cat Jesus, when I'm casting demons out of someone, there's a power transfer happening. God's kingdom just came upon someone, and someone who was in the grip of a different kingdom beneath a different ruler just gained new citizenship and God's kingdom and liberation from the kingdom of darkness. Things like sickness and cancer and disease and suffering, things like broken relationship, addictions, fits of anger, rage, lust, idolatry, doubt. These are all things of a different kingdom. We'll never perfectly in this age see these things expelled from our world. Not perfectly. Um, Not until he returns in the the new heavens and the new earth, that age to come is, is here. And those things are forever gone and cast into the lake of fire. But today, when we pray for the sick, and we see somebody actually healed, we can rightly say the kingdom of God just came upon you. The power of the kingdom just showed up in your life. Because in heaven and in God's perfect coming kingdom, there's no more pain, there's no more mourning, no more crying. We see people delivered from sin when they look to the cross and they feel conviction and they cry out for the forgiveness of sins and they receive the Holy Spirit and are released from the grips of addiction and the chains of sin. We can say the kingdom of God just came upon you. You have a new Lord. You have a new king. The old man is gone. The new man has come because God's spirit, the spirit of power, has been given to you and has given you a heart of softness, a heart full of baby skin, and the old hard heart is gone, and now Jesus is your king. That's called salvation. That's called good news, and Jesus says, yes, that's the good news of the kingdom. Paul said it this way, Colossians 1, 13 through 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. The author of Hebrews said it this way, Hebrews 6, 4 through 5. It is impossible in a case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gifts shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. You guys catch that? The powers of the age to come. That's the fly in DeLorean in 1989, right? Powers breaking in from that future age into this age. But there's a great, the greatest power that broke into this age is not even, it doesn't start when when somebody's repenting or, or, or even when we see like a miraculous kind of sign in our ministry because the greatest power that showed up in this age from that age to come was on Easter morning. It was when death itself was overthrown by Jesus Christ. It was when the greatest power of the domain of darkness found its end when Jesus rose from the grave. The power of his resurrection forever conquered death. The ultimate power has been overthrown. And there's the kingdom power, the resurrection power, 
that actually is ours today. This is when things get so fascinating. This is why this sermon is important because it so impacts how we think of our ministry as a church, how we operate here as a church in Wilmington. Listen to this. When we experience deliverance from, from sickness and healing or, or from sin, it is only possible through the power of the Spirit who, who pours into our lives what I think we can call the life of the resurrection. This glimpses of a renewed life in Christ. That's what it actually means to be born again. That's resurrection language, right? You're giving a new life. You're entering into a new life. You're, you're born again, which means if you're born again, it must have been a death, just like in Christ. We have died to our sin, but we are raised with him, says Paul. When we receive God's kingdom into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, we start tasting of that age to come. John 3, 3 says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm fully convinced I'm talking to myself when I say things like this, that we, I don't think we truly embrace the power of the resurrection that is among us even now. If you are a Christian this morning, you've been given the Holy Spirit. Jesus paid the way for that. The payment has been paid. The former way of life is done. But listen to this. This is, if you know Christ in this room, this is directed towards you this morning. Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's a rhetorical question. Well, I guess maybe not if you're not in the faith, but if you are following Christ, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. The same spirit that broke Christ out of the grave wants to usher new life on you right now. That's what he's saying. The spirit of God wants to give you new life today, the life of heaven. He wants to begin pouring into your life. And we know this does not mean that sin will be forever gone from our life. Um, You'll always find sin beneath your sin. If you're like me, I forgot who said it. Maybe I said this, but probably not. Most things I say I get from somebody else. I don't know, but um, I don't know if you've like like repented of sin before. You know, you've done that, and then you realize like your motivations for repentance were like really jacked up, and then you're like repenting of your repenting, and you're like, man, like this is bad. Like I'm really messed up after all, right? But that's just what your life is going to be. Like you're going to always learn. Like I'm really just more jacked up than I ever thought. And that's just going to be how uh, your life is until the day Christ returns. We're always a work in progress. But we cannot minimize the resurrection power of the Spirit of God in your life today. I think we're just so, too often, just so far satisfied with life as it is today. We're just so satisfied with being in control, or at least perceiving that we're in control of our life. We're so satisfied with just the destructive things that are offered to us so, so conveniently and so easily here in America. And I think the biggest damper on this all, the biggest just negative result of all of this is that it just breeds, it just gives birth to complacency in our life when it comes to the urgent message that the kingdom of God actually is available to those who are hungry and seeking and looking for hope in this life. And you have that message and we often just sit on our hands. 
We need to be reminded of this good news of Jesus. His kingdom is breaking in through this world. He spoke this and he showed this. There is literally people dying. I was at the conference listening to a man at the Vineyard Conference. He didn't say where he was, some Islamic country where he was the first Christian ever in his tribe, ever. And after 10 years of covertly starting new churches in his nation, spent time in jail, suffering, not eating, almost starved to death. And as he shared his story, we were all weeping and saying, I'm never going to complain again. Because this man, he put his life on the line for the good news of Jesus. And that's normal for so many people around the world. And it's hard for us in America just to, to put that in our minds and our realities. But it's true. And we can live with that urgency now. So Jesus is king. We can share in that power of the kingdom now. There is spirit. And point number three, followers of Jesus, as we do this, we are to live in the upside-down values of Jesus' kingdom. The values of this world, when we are confronted with Jesus, confronted with his message, confronted with his rulership and kingship in his kingdom and his power, we realize there's a lot of things that are upside down from how this world talks about life. Here's one example, just one of many, that if we're honest, we read it and we're like, ugh, that's like hard here. That's difficult. Matthew 20, 16. The last shall be first and the first last. This comes after a parable that started off saying the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. And you can read that parable on your own. But in Jesus' kingdom, he says the last shall be first. Who enjoys being last? Was anybody picked for last in kickball growing up? That was me. Nobody wanted me in their team because I was a guy who would run like with all my might and kick the big old kickball and still miss and still kick up dirt instead of the ball and be on my back. That was me. Nobody ever wanted me for their sports teams. I was horrible at sports. And I still am, right? Just God didn't give me anything of athletic ability. Nobody likes being last. Nobody likes being picked last, right? But there's something humbling about it. You don't feel very important. You certainly aren't arrogant in your skills because you got none. And in that parable, the ones who were first displayed an arrogance towards those who were last and even a contempt against those who were last because they were shaped by their status of being first, shaped by their power that they had as they looked down on those whom they perceived as last. And the heart of those who know what it's like to be last, the humility that comes, Jesus says, that's the heart of the kingdom. That's it. That's why the last shall be first and the first last. Because they realize that they're nobody. They realize that they're nothing. They realize that they're in need. They realize that they're in help. That's why the poor often responded to Jesus. And those who thought they had everything in life had a very difficult time with the message of Jesus. And Jesus says, oh man, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven because they got so much. They got so much. But those who are poor, they know their need. And that's the heart of the kingdom. Know your need. Pride is the number one characteristic of the domain of darkness. Humility is a way of life in the kingdom of God. And that will always be upside down in whatever culture you find that in. There's a fascinating story of this. This has to do with like social class and status um, in 
uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And it's, it's fa- I love this story. It's fascinating. That really kind of puts this on display. Matthew chapter 8. It's about when a centurion visited Jesus. Now, a centurion, so you know, he was a man of authority. He was a Roman officer who had around 100 soldiers beneath his command. If you were a Roman um, centurion, there's about 60 other centurions that made up a legion. You were in the elite class, all right? You were up there. You were in the upper escalons of society. You were kind of like the ruling class. And Rome was extremely divided in its class. It was a very class-based society. Most people weren't up at the top. 95% of people were, were at the bottom. There's no middle, very little middle class. It was either the elite or the poor. Now, this man was part of the elite, the ruling class. Jesus, on the other hand, was a poor, brown-skinned carpenter from a little potown, you know, town of Nazareth who had no money, no status, no nothing. Look what happens. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. This powerful man of authority comes to Jesus. And you can look at the nature of his, 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 his plea here, that there's something outside of his control. He has all this authority, but he's, he realizes that there's something outside of my grasp, but I cannot control. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I cannot control the outcome. I feel helpless. And he approaches this, this, this poor itinerant preacher, man, who he's heard a lot of things about, and he goes, and he's begging. This centurion, in effect, he's laying down his will. There's something happening here. We're going to see what happens. It's quite amazing. In reality, when we look at this story, we're going to see that there's kind of a, there's this kingdom transfer happening. He's, he's, this, this centurion is starting to lay things down before Jesus. And there's this, this transfer of my will to I'm submitting myself to yours, Jesus. The story continues. Jesus said to him, I'll come. I'll heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, these are remarkable words. This man says, I know what it's like to be in authority, Jesus. I have authority, but I have nothing close to what you have, Lord. I have authority, but you have something, an authority that far surpasses anything that I have, and I'm not even worthy to have you step into my house. Now, you just imagine, like in this culture, a Roman centurion, he'd be in his full garb, right? And it, was, it would be terrifying. Like the presence of a Roman soldier close to you was not a comforting presence if you were in Israel. You did not want to be close to one. They were unpredictable. They could just, you know, uh, exploit you and oppress you if they wanted to. But you just think of this, of this Jesus who people were already curious about. This Roman centurion's probably just bowing before him at this point in his full armor saying, I'm not worthy to have you in my house. People are probably looking thinking, what is going on here? What is happening? I'm not worthy to have you in my house. This guy's ego was completely gone. 
Jesus heard this and he marveled, verse 10, and he said to those who followed him, truly I say to you, no one in Israel has found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and from the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. The fascinating part about this, this man was not Jewish. He was a Roman. He was a Gentile. He was not part of this ethnic family of God. But Jesus was saying, oh, the family's about to burst open to include all people groups. And he was looking at his followers saying, even this man who you, you perceive to be your enemy, he gets it. And he's going to share the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Because he laid down his will, he laid down his authority, and everything about that picture is upside down to how this world works. The powerful are always humbled in God's kingdom before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wherever Jesus is found, he always flips everything upside down. And you will find yourself continually throughout your life being challenged by him. If Jesus always agrees with you, you're not reading the Bible or praying to the real Jesus. So many people like to craft Jesus to like always affirm everything you believe. And that can't be, uh, there's no authority there. You're still your own authority. You're having Jesus essentially saying, okay, I agree with everything you believe. Versus the other way around, Lord, challenge me. I want to see you authentically and truly for who you are. Because you're my God. And that's the goal of Jesus confronting us. All right, summarizing the kingdom today. Number one, Jesus is king. Number two, the kingdom has come and is coming in power. Three, life in the kingdom is upside down. And here's where we're going to end today. This is for our church family here this morning. The good news of this kingdom is still good news. The world needs to hear it. And guess who it's coming through? You. Matthew 8, uh, 28, the Great Commission. Pay attention. I've had, I had this revelation this week. I've read this Great Commission. It's a famous verse a million times in ministry. And I read it and I'm like, I, I've never like, seen this before. I, maybe I have, I just never like, emphasized it before. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a crazy statement, right? I have all authority in heaven and on earth. All right, so Jesus, go. Like, you need to go and like, Tell people, like, who you are and share. Like, go, go, Jesus. But who goes in the next verse? Therefore, go. He's talking to his disciples here. You go and make disciples. Because I have all authority in heaven, you go and make disciples of all nations. You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, and I will be with you to the end of this age. You are to be the heralds of this kingdom. And Jesus is going to be with you, and he'll be heralding himself through you, but he asked you to go. He asked you to carry this out as his ambassador. He wants to exercise his kingly authority and reveal his power on this world and reveal the good news of his life, his death, and the good news of salvation through you. 
This is why we pray and anticipate continual encounters with the Holy Spirit that he would continue to fill us and just purge out all the junk that may keep us from from fulfilling this great commission, this ambassadorship that we have been equipped with. Listen to this. When he sent out his 12 disciples in our church at Emmanuel, like we, we embrace these things. We do because it's right here. When he sent his disciples out in Matthew chapter 10, listen to what he said. These 12 sent, Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, into no town of Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of Israel. Different sermon for a different day. Verse seven. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse eight. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, you receive without paying, give without pay. Embrace the life of the kingdom. Don't, don't get rich off of this, right? But be open to ex- for God to exercise his power through you as you proclaim the kingdom is showing up right now. This is why at Emmanuel, when we call you to go in and share the good news with your neighbors, we ask you, you have authority, friends. There's power from God that he wants to display through you that he may reveal himself through you to your neighbors, all for the glory of his name. He wants you to call people to repentance some sin that they may be transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of Christ. We are called to be a kingdom church. There's a long quote. I don't like to read quotes this long, but this just sums up. I could almost just say this quote 40 minutes ago and not even have to preach. If you feel lost and confused, this should just sum everything up before you. Then we're going to go into our time of prayer. So I'm going to call our worship team up at this point. This is from a book uh, written by uh, George Ladd called The Gospel of the Kingdom, written about 60 years ago. This is what he says. This is the mystery of the kingdom. Before the day of harvest, before the end of the age, God has entered into history in the person of Christ, to work among men and to bring to them life and blessings of his kingdom. It comes humbly, unobtrusively. It comes to men as a Galilean carpenter went through the cities of Palestine, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, delivering men from the bondage to the devil. It comes to men as his disciples went through Galilean villages with the same message. It comes to men today as disciples of Jesus still take the gospel of the kingdom into all the world. The kingdom can be choked out. Its life may sometimes seem to wither and die, but it's still the kingdom of God. It brings a miracle of the divine life among men. It introduces them into the blessings of his divine rule. It is to them the supernatural work of God's grace. And it's the same kingdom, the same supernatural power of God's will, yet manifests itself at the end of the age, this time not quietly within the lives of those who receive it, but in the power and great glory purging all sin and evil from the earth. Such is the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. Maybe this morning you need to receive the gospel of the kingdom for the very first time. Maybe today is the day where you need to be born again into and receive that citizenship card through the work of Jesus into the kingdom and it's to be received by simple faith, by repentance of sin 
returning to him. Maybe this morning you need to be reminded that this kingdom is yours and you've been so complacent and just kicking against what is already yours in Christ. And this morning you need to come and bow like that centurion did and just lay your will before God and lay whatever control you've been trying to have over your own life and just embrace his kingship all over again and hand over the keys to your own kingdom to him. All of this is the kind of ministry we will be, and we have been, and will be stepping into as a church, leaning into it, training ourselves for it, praying and fasting for it, equipping one another for it, encouraging one another for it. For the kingdom of heaven is made manifest in this church through you, friends. Christ will be glorified, and he will draw many people to himself. And then we can rightly say this in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. We will have nothing to boast about except Jesus Christ if we engage this. Let's do it, church. The time is now. The season is now. It's a new season here at our church. It's an exciting one. And God wants to work through you. And this is an invitation for kingdom ministry here at Emmanuel.